Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. With his people. So we're going to kick off this series with this thought in mind and found in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 26. And if you have your Bibles, we're reading from the New King James Version today. And we're going to explain this, read it together. If you don't have your Bibles, look on the screens. We've projected it up there for you. If you're watching us right now live online on Facebook or YouTube, thank you for joining us. We pray that God would bless you and enrich you and help you right where you're at. If it's your first time here, thank you for being here. We prayed many prayers before you've gotten here, before you arrived. We welcome all of our first-time guests. Let's do that again. This is welcome, everybody, especially those online as well. Riverside Church is just beginning. Although we have been in as a so-called organization or church or group of people for about over 15 years, uh, during that lifespan of our conception here in Victoria, we have focused on nothing more, nothing less than relationships, relationship with God and relationship with people. And so we have a number of volunteers and staff that, that help and work hard every single week. Let's give it up for all of our volunteers. They work so hard every week to help your experience become better. And how many of you are excited about the new location? God blessed us with that piece of property that's tied to many, many acres. So five acres is just the beginning and our start, and we have access to many more. So we're thankful for that as well. Let's get into the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There was a big controversy in the Corinthian church about the resurrection. So Paul begins to explain because he had the knowledge of the scriptures. And he begins to say in verse 13, but if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Everything, folks, ties to the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ validated our salvation. But listen to what he says. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God if Christ wasn't risen from the dead. Then we're lying to you, in other words. Whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead is not risen or do not rise if and if Christ is not risen your faith is futile and you are still in your sins so forgiveness of sin was validated by the resurrection as well because the product of sin was death and because Jesus overcame death it was because he had no sin And so when you and I die, sin no longer has its sting in our life, and we rise to the newness of life to live with him forever. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That means those that are passed and died. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most in this word. I don't have heard anybody say it before, but it means to... That person ought to be pitied. It's sad to think that we 
don't have a hope beyond this life. But how many of you know that God has more? Verse 20, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For in as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to skip down here to verse 25, and it says, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Is death. This Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about the power of first fruits. There is power in the principle and the standard that God has set. And God asked his people under an old covenant to establish this. But then Christ and he, Christ came and fulfilled it. But God is the first one who gave. Will you pray right now and just say, God bless this service right now. Will you lift up your hands and say, Lord, give me an ear to hear. Can we do that together? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this, this opportunity. We pray that the spirit of wisdom and love and understanding would be here and that people would be enriched, that lives would be changed, that individuals could receive revelation, understanding, and that we would walk out of here better than what we came. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody say amen. Amen. Give God one more hand clap like he's done something for you. Come on and tell him thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. God bless you. concept of first fruits when you do hear about it is relatively really just relevant for our life but also to the future of the church but those that really understood it were those of the Jewish faith more than anyone else it was really just a concept that God had to establish because the rest of the life of Israel, his firstborn. And, you know, although there were many people, Israel was known as the firstborn of God, his first son. And, and when you look at the principle of first fruits, he established it in the scripture. And when Paul, for, for, the, for the sake and the benefit of, of his people, and then when Paul began to express this concept, he was relating both Old Testament and New Testament, intertwining it together. To, to tell the people and to tell the Corinthian church that it's not done away with. It's really been fulfilled. It is used in the scripture both literally and figuratively. So when Paul began and said that the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep are those that have died, was Christ. He was speaking of, we know, the resurrection. That he was going to be the first one that would be resurrected. And did you know when you read the Gospels, did you know that during the time when, when, when Christ had died and, and, and he was resurrected, that the scripture says that actually many during that time of the crucifixion, many came out of the grave and began to walk the streets? Powerful. 
That's how powerful the resurrection was. Go study the scripture. It's, it's in there. When God began to do something, it affected the whole world. And when God began to move, he did this for a reason. And the Paul began to write and express to the Corinthian church, he wanted to remind them. The resurrection is very important to understand. It, it's, a, it's a revelation. It's an understanding. It should become a staple of your doctrine. To have faith in the resurrection because the resurrection proved that God forgave us of our sins. When Jesus had come out of the grave, he wasn't coming out only in spirit. He came out in spirit, soul, and body. The body was redeemed. The corruptible man that had been crucified, God restored and completely made whole. And so that is really, in essence, that's really the faith that we have. And God established so much to the resurrection. When you think about this, it established the doctrine of healing. That the resurrection defied logic and defied human reasoning. It, 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 it just defied science. That the body of Christ that was crucified, that died on the cross, could be raised back to life. The powerful part about that is that when Jesus said it, he said, destroy this temple and I will make it rise again after three days. Meaning that no one else is going to do this. This is going to be something I'm going to do. It's powerful. But it validates everything. To understand this, we have to go back to the Old Testament. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is the first harvest. This is something that was established in the Old Testament. And God commanded his people. God commanded his people in point number one, the first harvest. When the first harvest was established, concept, it was when his people would give the first and everyone say the best. The best portions of the harvest as an offering to him. When you look at Exodus chapter 23 verse 19. He tells Israel. As you harvest your crop in this scripture. Are y'all staying with me? As you harvest your crops. Bring the very best. Bring the very best. Everyone say the best. Of your first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. The system that God has placed in the earth has to be relevant to the world and the kingdom. Tying it together. So when we look at church, we look at just a place to gather, to worship, to lift our hands, to sing songs. But it's more than that. It is the actual hub of where heaven meets earth. And it's not the building, it is the people in the building. And it's not the amount when he said, even then, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the middle. But where people assemble together and gather together, it's, it comes with an assignment from God. They have a purpose. They have a reason. The temple of God was the very place where they kept the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. So as a Jew, 
as an Israelite, you understood the concept of the importance of taking care of the temple of God in the Old Testament. You understood that all things were taken care of and needs were met and, and there was distribution and taking, they were taking care of the people. And then not only that, but in doing so and taking care of the house of God and taking care of the needs that were in the community, God would bless those that gave. God would bless those that gave their portion. It's a principle that carried on even beyond that through Nehemiah. Nehemiah, even in the process of building the walls of Jerusalem, when Jerusalem had many times, many times had lost their, their way, and they have many times gave up the kingdom, and they went overran by, by Babylonian kings and by the enemy. Many, many times God would have mercy and restore. And he'd have to use a man. And in this case, Nehemiah. And I want you to read the principle that Nehemiah prayed, really, and gave to Israel on their behalf to make a promise to God, make a covenant with him. Because not only does God want to restore the outside of our life, God wants to restore the inner workings of our spirit and our man and our livelihood. Because it's the eternal things that we can't see that matter the most. And that is where God is concerned with. God can care less about how much money you have in your account, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive. God can really cares about the condition of your heart. God really cares about what your faith looks like, your spiritual health. So all of these principles when it comes to giving and first fruits have to do with a heart condition. And we'll talk about that. But Nehemiah made the prayer in Nehemiah 10. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 35 and 39 through 39. It says this in the New Living Translation. He said to God, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year. In other words, Nehemiah knew he was in it for the long haul and he had to establish that covenant with God. Whether it be crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. He said, it doesn't matter. We agree to give God our oldest sons, the firstborn of all of our herds and flocks. And, and another portion of scripture, you'll find it in, in, in the book of Exodus. Where God said, honor with the first fruits of your harvest and also your firstborn sons. This was all a principle that God would fulfill later with his own sons. For telling the state and the heart condition that we need to have. You'll know where your heart is by the treasures and things you possess. What's important to you. We agreed to give God our older sons and firstborns of our herds and flocks. And as prescribed in the law, we will present them to the priests who minister in the temple of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. And we will bring the best of our flour and the grains and offerings and the best of our fruit the best of our new wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring it to the Levites, a tenth of everything our land produces. And by the way, that tenth wasn't established by the law. The law just magnified it because it was established in the days of Abraham. In Jacob's time, these men learned this principle that God gave to them to honor him and give him the best first. And they continued this 
Some of the greatest men that I know, even businessmen, are men who understand first fruits. And it's not with money. It's with time and talent as well. Resource, networks, relationships, ideas, wisdom. There have been many times even in my life where I've had a great idea and I'd give it away to somebody else to benefit from it. Because if I want more ideas, I give away what God's given me. And I feel like it's the best idea. I'm going to honor God with that sometimes. And there's more where that came from. But when you hoard everything, you don't have a chance to grow. Israel needed the blessings of God. God didn't need their blessings. Turn to somebody and tell them, God doesn't need your money. <laughs> you need God's blessings. Verse 38. A priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be... With the Levites as they receive these tithes. And a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered to the Levites in the temple of our God and placed in the storerooms. The people in the Levites will must bring these offerings of grains and new wine and olive oil to the storerooms and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priest, the gatekeepers, the singers. We promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. It was a community thing, not just an individual thing. It was a community thing because even, even the Babylonians, even those that didn't believe in God, when they came together for one purpose and began to build the Tower of Babel, even God said, if I don't stop them, they're going to accomplish what they set their minds to because they're of one mind and one accord. It's a powerful thing when God's people begin to come together for one purpose and one thing. And during these days when Israel would worship God and they would honor God, they were unstoppable. God still wants his people to be unstoppable. But we can accomplish more together than we can by ourselves. And when we come together, this is what makes all the difference in the world. We kind of took it back old school ourselves. We started the co-op here, Riverside Co-op, where we have different farmers. Right now, it's very small right now, but it will grow and it will become bigger. And some of you have been recipients of people's gardens. There are distribution days. There are people that literally tithe. And give offerings from their gardens and their herds. And we don't make a profit. We actually feed it to the congregation. Our prayer is that one day we'll be able to feed the community. And even maybe open up a grocery store. And teach other people how to produce. I know that sounds kind of old school. But listen, I love the fact that I can grow my own stuff. We brought eggs. I haven't bought eggs from the store in a year. And I live in town. We've heard that before. And my neighbors don't make a big deal about it. They won't if you take them some eggs. <laughs> but I've seen many people walk out of here on a distribution days, walking out with bags. I saw a lot of people. You know, I know some of you are probably going to get upset by this. Maybe the ladies. But I've seen people post pictures of their rabbits that they cooked. Rabbit was a delicacy to kings. When you got to eat, you got to eat. 
my point is, is that the New Testament church, when you read it, they didn't give God 10%. They gave God 100%. It was almost like they, they gave God 90% and they lived off the 10 Because that's what their heart was. That was the fulfillment of everything that God had ever tried to establish throughout history. He established it in the New Testament church. And when they got it, they understood it. They knew the, the, the relevance of it. They had a heart for it. They saw God do miracles, signs, and wonders. The validation of who Christ was was established through the birth of the Spirit, which also God says that the Holy Spirit is actually the first fruits of the world to come. And he put it in the church. And God blessed it. So it was real, but for us in America, we've become desensitized. We have, we have seen so much and have had it so good and have been taken advantage of and people have lied. And, and too many... Can I say it? Too many ministers have lived high on the hog while the people still live in the mud. When the purpose of the church was to level the playing field, not to restrict people from making a successful and good living, but that everyone would do their part so we become better together. When everybody does their part, we can do more. If everybody did their part this year, I promise you by next year, we'll be building a building. If everybody did their part this year and got involved in what we're doing, we can start feeding the community at no charge. When everybody starts doing what they're doing with their time, we can pray prayers and people will come into this church with cancer and they'll come in with broken bones. They'll come in with walkers and they'll be healed. And by the way, everything I just mentioned has already happened in this church. We have seen people walk in on walkers, walk out without walkers. We have seen people who had fractured bones, broken ankles, walk in and God completely healed them back there. We have had a number of people that had cancer and they go back to the doctor after a service and the cancer and the tumor was gone. We have seen this time and time again, but it only happens when everybody gives God their best. It only happens when we give God the first fruit of our lives. I'm going to throw this slide up here for you just to have reference. So you can go home and study this and look it up. These are the number of offerings and things that God asked of the people. You can also, again, if you downloaded our app, my notes are there for every service that I preach. They're on the app for you to print out at home and go and study and verify what I'm preaching. Don't just take it to heart. Go home and study it. That's what we're trying to do. Help you grow. And this is everything. They'd offer the grain, the olive oil, the new wine, the sheep wool, the fruit, the herds, and the flocks. And there's a reason why God did that. Because God wanted to bless them. Because you got to remember, you have to remember, those things would prosper before sin came into the world. 
Adam and Eve had it good, and they had favor, and they had the blessings of God, and the atmosphere in the earth was conducive to the kingdom of God. It was conducive to the blessings of God. It was free-flowing without restriction, and that's what heaven is, because in heaven, there is no sin. In heaven, no one's going to need to be healed because there is no sickness, there is no disease. In heaven, there is no tears because there is no sadness. That's what was on the earth when Adam and Eve were here. But when sin came in, it changed everything. So God had to establish systems. That's why some systems are put in place. We're not under the law. We're not bound by the law, but we've been set free from the law. But the scripture says that, you know what? God said, I will do a new thing in Jeremiah. And he said, I have written, given them the law, but I will put my law in their heart and cause them to walk after me and they will be my people and I will be their God. So no one makes us do what we do. We want to do what we do because we have a love for God and we know what he's done for us. What we need to understand is that God would never ask us to do something he wouldn't do himself. So Jesus was God's tithe. Jesus, point number two, he was the tithe. God gave. We know the scripture very well. Everyone knows John 3 and 16. But if Jesus was the first fruit of the harvest, what does that mean? Well, let's look at John 3 and 16. Look at this slide right here. John 3 and 16. Let's just, let's just take that word, world, and son, and replace it with harvest. For God so loved the harvest. Turn to your neighbor and tell them I was part of the harvest. That was me. I was lost. God found me. God helped me. I became saved. He put me in his storehouse. You know what the church is? It's a storehouse. I'm just saying, there's all types of analogies and symbolisms and things there. But the truth is, is that when he talked to the disciples, he said, open your eyes. Look out. The fields are white, ready to harvest. Go pick it. But pray that the Lord would send laborers. We need laborers. laborers. There's plenty of people to be one. We just need more people to help win them. So God so loved the harvest that he gave the first fruit. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The principle God established in the Old Testament was this. God proved how much he loved us by sending his son. We prove how much we love him by giving him our first fruits. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And that means time, talent, treasure, relationships. God gave his son. He proved the greatest sacrifice. So when Paul said Jesus is the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep, he was drawing an analogy between Old Testament offering and Jesus' resurrection. As the Old Testament fruit symbolizes, listen to this, the Old Testament fruit symbolizes and consecrated the entire harvest to follow. In other words, when somebody gave to God the first fruits of their harvest, the rest of the harvest was consecrated in the eyes of God. And he would protect it. This is why Malachi 3 and 10 talked about, try me, test me. Bring back the tithes to the storehouse, tithes and offerings. 
Bring them back to the storehouse. Bring them back to my temple and see I will pour you out a blessing that you don't have enough room to contain. And I will open up the windows of heaven. In other words, I'm going to stop the drought. I'm going to send the rain. I'm going to give you the sun. I'm going to give you good conditions, favorable conditions for your livelihood. And I will also rebuke the devourer. See, if you don't believe in God and don't believe in the resurrection, this means nothing to you. And if you wonder why you're going having so much trouble in your life, it's because we don't have a reality check on what really Jesus did and what God wants to do. But you see, the harvest, as being part of the harvest, it is an example of our salvation. What's this? So Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, right? Is what the scripture says, right? Okay. But God loved us so much. God wanted a harvest or God wanted a family. So he knew if he's going to have a family and the family's going to be blessed, he has to give his firstborn. Offer it to himself. Because he could not violate a principle that he established for his church. Because he would never ask us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. And when God... Gave his son, much like testing the heart of Abraham when he was offering Isaac. It's all ties to Jesus. When God gave Jesus, his only begotten son, what happened was, he said, I want a family, but they can't afford to give me the offering that I need to make this thing happen. They don't have the resource. There is sin there. But I'm going to send my son, and he's not going to have any sin. And he's going to be the first, first fruits of the resurrection. And, 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 and let me remind you also that even Jesus said when he taught, he said the day is going to come that the dead will hear the voice of God. Speaking of, those, speaking of those that were alive, that were dead spiritually, will be resurrected spiritually. So there was an analogy, and there was an example of the spiritual thing and the actual physical resurrection, and also the spiritual resurrection that would take place. Study the Bible. It's there. How many of you know that when you, were, you used to be dead in sin? How many of you know that you were in a grave in your life and you weren't alive? You were lost in sin. But then God raised you out. God, that's what the baptism is. When you're water baptized, it's a declaration of the burial and the resurrection. And behold, all things pass, old things pass away. And behold, all things become new. God said, because I'm going to give the first fruit, I'm going to consecrate the rest of the people through salvation. It's you're covered, in other words, by the blood that was shed for you through Jesus Christ. This is why from your, there's power in the first fruit because of the first fruit that God gave of his only son, the rest of us, when we fail, when we make mistakes, when we fall short of his grace, when we have sinned, we have the blood to cover us. This is why the harvest is never 
defeated. This is why the enemy can't come in and touch a believer who has been purchased by the blood because God gave the first fruit to consecrate the rest of the harvest. And the canker worm, the caterpillars, and those that devoured the harvest in the Old Testament was symbolism for every spirit that would try to come into your life and ruin your family and take away your legacy and do things in your life that would wreck your whole family. But God said, ah, they won't happen anymore because I gave my son. I tithed on what I wanted. God gave himself the best of the best. Put that in the advocate. Somebody do the best of the best for Jesus. The best of the best. And according to eyes, the eyes of God was Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, point number three, the harvest is protected. Everything you give to God and honor him first consecrates everything else. Consecrates everything else. Well, what's everything else? Name it. Name it. Last week we did children, child dedication. And the parents came in here and consecrated their children to God. That, that is what God instructed. That's a God thing. We dedicate our children to God in the beginning saying, Lord, like Samuel, we offer them back to you. They belong to you. So, so we're going to raise them in your good grace. And we're going to treat them like they're your children, not just ours. We're going to honor you by teaching them, by showing them, by training them up in the ways of God because they belong to you, God. That's a principle. That's first fruits principle. Would I make God in my income See, you don't have, we don't have a bartering system. Some of you still barter, but, you know, it's not our system. But God has prospered us in so many ways. So when we offer God the first increase of our increase and give him the best of that first. Spiritually, he's consecrating the 90%. Yeehaw, Pastor Bobby. 10%, man, I don't know. You know what that's like? That's like God buying you a brisket. I know it's a bad time to talk about brisket. <laughs> Let me get you ready for after the 21 days. It's like God buying a brisket and giving it to you and blessing you with it. And you make it, you smoke it, you, ju- you do everything. It's a full 12-hour thing, right? Some 24, but you know, it just, it just, when it's done, then you and your family get around it and you start chopping it up, start making brisket tacos and brisket nachos. Then all of a sudden, you say, oh, well, leave some for the one who bought it. Then you take him a little plate and treat God like your mother-in-law. Save him a plate. And what we should have done was give God his portion first. I don't know why I'm talking about brisket. Brisket's been in my mind lately, I guess, but God knows. So here the truth is, and, and you know, God wants the gristle too, right? He wants that fat. I don't know how many of you men like that part. How many of you go to the barbecue place and you tell them, give me some of that fat and gristle? Good stuff. Help me, Lord. 
I don't know why. Okay. What's, what's in your heart, what's precious to you is the question, really. What's important to you? Because God increases us, then we save the leftovers for him when he should come first. And we should put that within our budget in our life when it comes to time, talent, and our treasure. And when you can tie all three to God and honor him first, you think you've done well now. You haven't seen nothing if you're not putting God first. You're limiting God. And that will break the spirit of greed, which a spirit of greed comes from the devil. Did not, it's, a human, it's a human thing as well in your nature. But God said, if you'll break that, I'll rebuke that for you. I'll get rid of that for you. The first fruits of our life protects the remainder. And so here's the fact. Are you ready for the fact? You and I own nothing. We're just stewards. We do not believe in the prosperity gospel here. We believe in a provisionary one. It means that God will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory, but everything is based on stewardship. In other words, we don't own anything. God just gives us a little time to manage it while we're here on this earth. And if you only knew of the true riches and glory, you'd be like when you get there, Oh, my God, I can't believe I was saving up all that stuff and it's pavement here on the ground, right? I'm not saying be a wise, don't be a wise steward. I am saying that there are some things that are greater than money, and that's the things that have eternal value. So God is not concerned about your money more than he is your heart. He's not concerned more about your talents. He really wants to get to your heart. We think time, it is the most valuable thing. But when you give God the first fruits of your time, it's amazing how God will bless the rest of your time. Everything follows under the concept and principle of first fruit. Everything. Relationship. Every relationship should have Jesus as number one. And your relationships will become better. You've heard me say this to young people all the time. I repeat it over and over and over so it'd be ingrained in our young people. Don't look for Mr. Right. Become Mrs. Right. Make Jesus your king. He'll bring you a prince. Make him number one. You won't have to deal with number two. That's what I'm going to say. That's all I was going to say. That's all I was going to say. Just telling you the truth. Sometimes we waste our time because we don't put God first. Some of the most successful businessmen and people and teachers and parents and that I've ever met understood the concept of first fruit. There's no limit to God. But we limit God in our faith. We limit God. God wants us to be true believers where we believe that now we're the influencers. You see, when James writes about this in 1 James chapter 18, and you can write this down, the term that he uses for the harvest and first fruits actually means also believer. References to believers. By his choice, he gave us the new birth by the word of truth so that we could 
be a kind of first fruits, it says, of his creation. So what that means is, is that because of what Jesus did, we have a grace in our life and mercy in our life, which now means that now we have to become the first fruits in our life. Which means that every mom and dad have a responsibility. Every household has a response. Head of the household has a responsibility. That if they want their families blessed, that they have to give their lives to God and put and become the first fruits. Become the first fruits. My wife and I learned this concept a long time ago, and some of you parents understand this. We gave up our rights to have everything nice when we started having kids. We just did. We didn't think about ourselves. We weren't. How many of you mom and daddies understand this? I mean, you know, maybe you grew up in a different household. Maybe you had uh, a great financial upbringing to the sense of, uh, you know, you were successful up from the very get-go of your marriage. Not me, my wife. We started off with nothing. I asked help from no one. We wanted to do it ourselves and let trust God. So we had to sacrifice. But when that first baby came, we knew that that first child was going to influence the rest of our children that we would have and that her life will be a direct reflection of how we live in private. So we didn't worry about trying to buy clothes for ourselves. We took care of the kids first, and we didn't, weren't concerned about our advantage. We were living life for God so they could be blessed. You see, here's the concept. The reason why, and I want to help somebody here today, and I don't know, I don't know who this is for, but let me help you that successfully raising your children is not based on what other people see. That is not successful living. Successfully raising your children is based on your private life and how devoted you are to God. Because there are some things done in private that affect your children openly. And when you allow little things into your life that aren't from God, you create gateways for the enemy to come in to rob them. And what you do in moderation, children do in excess. And when you have lived privately a certain way, you have just said to the spirit world, and there is a spirit world, world, folks, you're here because you believe in it. There is a God, and there is a devil, and they can both see. One's limited in vision. The other one sees all things. Our Savior, our God. And when you do things in private, you have created gateways. Your house is a gateway. I call them portals. You can establish portals over your home of blessings. I call them open heavens. It's real. But when you have established a relationship with God in your home, you have just opened up the windows of heaven, opened your home, and there are angels that ascend and descend upon that place and work in your children's lives, and it begins to help them with their personal life. When they come and they sleep at night, there aren't other spirits that will come and mess with them. If they do, then it's because they created some things in their life, not you. I can't tell you how many times, and this is first fruits now, It's not all about money. God doesn't need your money. You need God's blessings and you need God's favor. And we will answer for what we've done based on how we have led others. But I can't tell you how many times because we put God first. Even if our kids did wrong, 
My kids had a strange childhood. Daddy would walk into the room and say, I felt what you're feeling. You need to get right with God right now. I felt that spirit of depression. I felt that spirit of suicide come in. We're going to pray God will get rid of it. One time, my oldest boy, he's probably watching right now. He walked into my room, and I felt it, and I saw it. I said, come here, son. Come into my room. He said, yes, sir. I said, God told me you're busy with everything else, and you're stressed, and you're worried about everything, and I see you constantly. I said, I see you chopping logs, chopping logs, chopping logs, chopping logs, and chopping and chopping, and you're wore out. You're not sharpening your edge, and you're doing things in life that's wearing you out, and you're worried about things that mean nothing, and you're being drained spiritually, and you need to get your heart right with God, son. His eyes open up real big. <laughs> Says, Dad, okay. But I didn't know he was playing Fortnite, <laughs> cutting all those logs on Fortnite, apparently. <laughs> Being all his time on the game, he wasn't praying, and he was getting stressed. I didn't know that. I never played the game. But I talked his lingo. See, that's the gift things operating, but that doesn't happen unless you become first fruits. God will lead you to help you raise your family. I know this sounds strange to some, but listen, folks, if you don't believe in God and you don't believe that God, your God talks and you don't believe that God will speak to you, why are you even here? Let's, if we're going to believe, let's go all the way and get all in. He wants to help you raise your family. He wants to help you raise your business, build your business. He wants to help you see lives change. You are here with the purpose, and you're covered by the blood. But God wants to use you. There's a lot of people that don't think it's important to what you listen to and the people that you follow. You better be careful. And when no one can reason with you, it's because you have a hardened heart. But people who are humble have been broken in the presence of God, and they listen, even when they don't like it. But God is talking. God is talking. God wants to help us. And I'm closing with this. Come on, Haley. I want you to remember this. This is what I'm closing with right now. The principle of first fruits is a lifestyle. The power of first fruits is seen in our salvation. Salvation is a benefit that comes from the blood and the faith that we have in God. But it's a continual process. So God just didn't save you to save you. God continually saves you and keeps you and guides you and directs you. But when you have a lifestyle of putting him first, he'll remove the limits from your life. And he'll help you do what's necessary to see your family saved your loved ones saved, your community saved, your friends saved. There are no limits to who God wants to reach out to, but God needs somebody to surrender. In every area of your life, you can't say, I'm surrendered, God. You're, I'm yours. What about your time? Oh, I'm too busy. I come to church, right? You can't flirt with God and date. I'm just going to tell you right now. Come in here and flirt with God and expect you're walking out of here and not talk to him tomorrow. That doesn't happen. 
God doesn't work that way. God came here for a bride. I taught my kids, date to marry, don't date to date. That sounds old-fashioned, but why waste your time? <laughs> I want to test the car out before I buy it. <laughs> you better hope you don't wreck it. That's all I'm saying. Putting God first starts with the heart. I'm good at this. How have you connected to the kingdom and the church and the assignment? Real quickly, you see these black ceilings? They were all white and it was all red iron when we flipped this building. We flipped it because we wanted an overhead that was low in this location so we could build a church, not a building take our time with it to do it right and focus on the people this is all about the people loving Jesus helping people grow and his good timing he, he's given us the property in a building it's coming I promise you it is coming it's not far in fact we had to flip this thing around and I'll never forget this is a special kind of paint up there called dry fall acrylic dry fall fall kind of paint that's up there and I was the only one here. I was the only one that would come to the church and my kids were too young to paint and I didn't have a lot of men. We had, we didn't have, I was all women really, majority of them. All the rest of them were businessmen working and it wasn't a whole lot of people and I thought, how am I going to do this? And, okay, so I don't know how to paint like that, this stuff and get up there. I hate getting up high. I got a phone call from a guy. He walks in and he says, hey, pastor where you at and I'm at the church so he gets here and I said what's going on man he said I just lost my job I just got laid off he was devastated oh he had to meet bills like everyone else and I said okay I never asked him what you did I said what do you do he goes I'm a painter <laughs> then God spoke to me and I heard him very clearly he said tell him to help you paint this and I'll bless him that wasn't a manipulation. That wasn't a move that like, hey, do this. God's going to bless you. You know, oh, you know, hey, I hear God say right now, if you'll just pick up that brush. Put that gun in your hand. And I'm going to bless you. And I said, I really feel like if you help me, I think, I really think God's going to help you. He got on it. He painted for 24 hours straight. He said, go home, Pastor. I got it. I didn't go home. I stuck around here as long as I could. Help him move. Watch the thing. I got tired at night. He goes, I said, let's take a break. We'll finish tomorrow. He goes, no, I can't. I'm in this. I got it. If I stop, I'm never going to finish in time. So I said, okay, let me go get a few hours sleep. I went home, got some sleep, came back. He was still up there, and he finally finished. And this wasn't there. It was an overhead door. We walked out right through here. I said, thank you so much. We sat down. Right when he sat down, his phone rang. Huh, that's weird. That's my boss. His boss called right when he finished the job here, and he said, hey, can you come back in? It's only been 24 hours. He said, I need you to come back. Not only that, I'm giving you a raise, and I'm giving you a promotion.
to all of our men here, you are missing out and you're hurting yourself by not being involved with what God is doing and giving him first fruits. You are only limiting yourself. The principle is when you put God first, you'll never come out last. Will you stand to your feet here this Sunday morning? Will you make a commitment to him right now and tell him, I'm going to put you first in my life, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we pray today that you would just begin to move in our life and increase our faith. Give us a lifestyle of consistency, of honoring you with our time, honoring you with our talent. You see, many of you, there are some people here that know how to do business and maybe you don't know how to do anything else. Well, you know, that's where you honor God with, with your substance of your first fruits. Everyone has a part to play. God will raise up kings and priests among us to build the kingdom. So say, God, take my gift. Take my gift, what I've got. I want to make a difference in people's lives. I want to make a difference in this world. I need you more than anything else in my life. My family needs you. My friends need you. My relatives need you. All I have is 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 you. I heard a story about a church in Africa, a true story, a church in Africa where they had their first fruit offering. And their first fruit offering they do every year. And they were trying to build the church and trying to make a difference. And they loved the church and they loved God there. And there was a young girl who had nothing to give, but God had saved her. God had delivered her. God had helped her. And she finally came in, and everyone knew her condition. Everyone knew she wasn't rich. But she came back with a huge offering. And she put it in the baskets. And the pastor saw it. He was moved and he was, he was troubled because he knew she didn't have a lot of money. Where did she get that money from? Thought that she had done something illegal. And in their culture, they still do something there that she did. And what had actually happened is that she sold herself as a servant. And she gave the money to the church. Some of us don't know that kind of life because we have too much hope in this life. But if you only knew the hope to come and the life to come, we make investments on things that were eternal, not monetary. That's foreign to us here in America because we're so blessed. But God didn't bless us to hoard it, to keep ourselves. God didn't make, give you talent afraid that someone's going to take advantage of you. God didn't give you a personality for people so you can just show it to your family, your friends, close friends. God wants you to influence many people. God wants to give you an anointing and a grace to make a difference. But you've got to get rid of selfishness and greed and skepticism you're thinking too much and analyzing too much. Keep it simple. 
God so loved us that he gave. So we're going to do the same. How much do you love him this Sunday morning? Let him know right now. Just lift up your hands and worship him. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.